It's so nice to see so many people here this morning. We, uh, we've, like Steve said, we've been going for about two years and it's just been an incredible privilege to see people transforming in their work, in their lives and, uh, and see Jesus do so much. So we have a great privilege of serving God together, don't we? We're going to talk today about the fear of God and uh, it's probably like Phil said last week, Phil talked about obedience and uh, he said it was one of the di- most difficult talks that he's ever had to prepare for and it's been similar for me this week I um I I think it I think it's possibly because it feels so countercultural. and we talk about the fear of God and we talk about um it, it feels quite judgmental and it feels like it's really hard to talk about and um it can have quite negative connotations can't it and I I think it's partly because we don't actually know what it means what does it actually mean to fear God and I think it's quite a negative concept. And I, I, I wonder whether if I say that, immediately you have a big picture in your mind of um, an angry deity with a, a lightning rod who's going to come and zap you. And that's probably one of the things that we have in our minds, isn't it? And um, I think it's not actually like that. Good news. The Bible talks about fear in relation to God about 300 times. So I, I, when it says that, I kind of think this is probably quite important to look at. If it's talking about it that much, this is probably worth paying attention to. And as I've been, as I've been looking at it this week, uh, studying about the fear of God, I think one of the things that's really amazed me is the amount of blessings and promises attached to when we start fearing God. So again, it's, this, is worth, this is worth paying attention to. And here at, at Ballon Vineyard, we've talked about God being our father quite a lot. Over the, over the last couple of years, we've talked about God being our, our Abba, Daddy. And I wonder sometimes whether we have the potential to, to sort of go too far one way and um, make it into a sort of a syrupy, sentimental view of father. And I think we need to hold these two things in tension that God is, he's absolutely kind, he's absolutely good, he's for his children, he provides and he protects and he watches over us, and he's not to be messed with. It's both, isn't it? And, and he's, he's not to be crossed, he has authority, and he is to be feared. And when, when the ancient Israelites, when they would uh, think about the word father, when they, when they would sort of think about who is who is my father, earthly father, I think they would have had two views. And I think Jesus would have had this as well. When he thought about the word father, he would have thought it was somebody who protected, who provided, who gave us affection, and somebody who had complete authority, and he didn't mess around with them. And I wonder whether we've lost that perspective a little bit. I think even in this generation, uh, you know, we think as parents, it's our job to support our children, to be there 100% for them, to unconditionally love them. But I wonder whether the authority bit, we've kind of lost a little bit. And it's almost like the generations past would have gone down the authority route. And then we've kind of swung over completely the other way. And, but it's both. I want to propose it's both. Uh, there's uh, one of my favourite authors, which I think is probably one of everybody's favourite authors, uh, uh, someone called C.S. Lewis. And he has written an incredible book uh, called The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And he, uh, 
I, I think he really balances this well, and I want to read you a passage from it. I, I looked for ages for a clip of it because I thought, well, it should be part of the story. And apparently this isn't part of the film, which is really sad. So I'm going to have to read it instead of seeing it. Um, so in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he tells the adventures of four children. And they're in the magical king- kingdom of Narnia, And the story is fun, but it's also an allegory of Jesus and salvation. And uh, in Narnia, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they describe the mighty lion to them. So this is the passage from it. So it says, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. We should have interacted this. We should have kind of like done a little drama, shouldn't we? Um, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And who has ever said, who says that the God of the Bible uh, is a nice, safe God? If anyone can appear before the holy God without their knees knocking... They're either braver than most or just plain silly. And so I think this fear of God, it's not about being scared or being afraid. It's not about them, it's not about us wanting to run away and hide because we're terrified, because God is so terrifying. I want to suggest that this fear of God is one of being overwhelmed by greatness. And in the Bible, God is described as so good and so great and so powerful that fear of him is just our automatic response. And Isaiah experienced this kind of fear when he encountered the living God. And we're going to read from Isaiah 6. So if you, if you have your Bibles or I, hopefully, oh, small words, uh, anyone got their glasses? Um, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. So this is a vision that Isaiah had. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. 
And Isaiah here, he's not, he's not just overwhelmed, is he? He's undone. He's just undone by the presence of God. The character and the holiness of God is more than he can endure. And I, I think this kind of fear is, is our response to something that's totally beyond us. Isaiah is directly encountering the living God. He is overcome, blown away at the majestic holiness and wonder of God. And then his own inadequacy in the face of that. And his holiness and his glory are so overwhelming that our response, I think if that was us, we'd just be on our faces. I think when our eyes have seen the king and his incredible holiness, his incredible majesty, we become aware of our own sense of unholiness. But then this, 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 is, this is where the incredible message is, that in the presence of such incredible majesty and holiness, we can experience God completely forgiving us and cleansing us. And we can stand before the living God in complete righteousness. That's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. I remember, I remember a point in my life when I realized how much I needed to be forgiven. And I realized how much I'd hurt people around me. And I realized that my actions had desperately affected people around me. And it was almost as if I had a moment, a bit like Isaiah here, where I kind of almost came face to face with my maker my head in my hands and and the only appropriate words is like woe is me and some of us have been there haven't we when we realize the holiness of God and the life to which we've called but how far short we've actually gone and yet this is the good news it's in that dark and shameful place in the guilt-laden place where God can begin to work and it's in this place where we were able to reach out to God with our whole being. It's in this place that God can reach into our lives and touch us with his grace and forgiveness. And as he did with Isaiah, and he offers us a whole new beginning. That's who God is. God is not just holy and far removed. Our God is a God of second chances. And if, if, you, if this morning you're at the point of woe, Woe is me. If you're at that point this morning, hear this. God is ready to meet you where you are with complete and utter forgiveness. And this, this forgiveness of sins, it's something so wonderful and so full of awe that when we comprehend it, we can only look in fear and wonder at this God who forgives. And forgiveness, it's not just a pass to keep us from being in trouble. Forgiveness means that my sins have been covered because of Jesus bridging that gap and I can have a relationship with God. This is truly awesome. It's an event that should bring us to a holy fear of a holy God. There's a, a great quote um, by a great theologian called Tim, Timothy Keller, which I think will come on, on the screen. It says, to fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. 
That's why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. It's quite incredible, isn't it? And I think one of the biggest sort of pulls away in the opposite direction to the fear of God is the fear of man or the fear of people and what people think about us. And I don't know whether there's anyone here, maybe it's just me, that uh, thinks, what will people think about me? What will people think about me? Will they like me if I, if I don't do what they want? Will they reject me? What happens if people don't approve of me? And I think for many years I struggled with this as I wanted to be liked. And I still, I still do struggle with this a little bit as well. I, I was brought up in a, a Christian family. And at the time it was quite strict. And uh, we didn't have a television till I was a teenager. We used to have to wear hats to church. Can you imagine it? Um, we had to pray before meals when our friends came around for dinner. And I think I was left with a bit of a feeling that I was in the weird category. I don't know whether anyone else felt that growing up. I, I just felt like I was in a bit of a... I was a bit, bit strange, a bit on the edge. And I think um, I worried what people thought about me. I wanted to fit in. And I kind of wanted to be in the cool gang. And I probably... I don't think I ever was. And um, over the years, I think I've been on a battle, uh, in a battle on a journey of battling this. Uh, my fear about peer, appearing the odd one out. My need to be liked and affirmed, my battle with comparison against other people. And the reality is that this takes us in the opposite direction from fearing God. Because we end up caring far more about what other people think than what God thinks. I think the fear of what other people might think connects us to a reality that is just simply not true. We have to rehearse in our minds, don't we, what people might say before we make decisions. And I think it separates us from a lifestyle of courage that is actually ours in, in, in Jesus. Now everybody, I think you'd be probably in the weird camp if you didn't suffer with rejection or fear or kind of insecurity in some ways. I think we all kind of struggle with it to some degrees, don't we? And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with wanting people to like you. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we're f- so focused on being people pleasers that our fear of being rejected and criticised and judged, when that controls our choices, then we're being controlled by the fear of man. Even even preparing this talk, I had a real battle this week, and I, I had all these thoughts going through my head, was, how's this going to be perceived? Are people going to be offended? Are people going to think that I'm being really judgmental? And I... <laughs> I almost pictured um, certain people in my head and ran a sort of mental movie through my mind uh, of people listening to this talk. I'm not going to tell you who I pictured. (laughs) That would be quite funny, actually, wouldn't it? Maybe not. Um, But, yeah, I I kind of almost pictured people in my head, like, being offended by what I might say and people being critical about what I might say. And this is so crippling. It's so crippling. And you can't move forward in this place where we're so concerned about what, others might th- what other people might say or what, what, might, what they might think about us. 
I was listening to a talk this week about leadership. And we're, we're doing a whole leadership development program um, starting next month. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of people here that are leaders. But one of the things that it was not warning against, but almost, was that as a leader, you have to be prepared for people to misunderstand and, mis and misinterpret what you might say. And you have to be prepared for being misunderstood about why you've made certain decisions. And it might be because of confidentiality or it might be because just people don't know all the, re all the reasons, all the background as to why you've made a certain decision. And it was just saying that people have to choose to trust you as a leader because they might not know the bigger picture. Um, rather than choosing to be offended. But the other thing that I was really struck by, so this was the kind of ouch more to me, was that I... I think I worry too much about offending people because of what it might look like on the surface or that my decision might be interpreted in the wrong way and feeling like I have to justify my decisions to people rather than living, as it were, before an audience of one. And I think that's what I've been really struck by this week is do I live before an audience of one? That's God, by the way, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> It's not like Steve or anything. <laughs> but do we live before an audience of one? And it, it, it sort of really made me, really kind of like hit me, knowing that I, do I base my decisions on the standards of God and fearing him more than fearing people? And it made me wonder what it would look like if all of us here would live before an audience of one. What would that look like when those thoughts come and bombard us about what other people might think? That we choose at that point to turn our attention on the king and what he thinks about us and what he says are his standards. How much more courage would we have? How much less would we compromise in the way we live? That we stand up before an audience of one. It's a real challenge. And I'm, I'm not speaking as one that's got this all sorted by any means. We, but our, our responsibility is to stand before the king. That's, that's our responsibility. And so to fear God is to honour him. To respect, to esteem, to value him, to reverence him. And to stand, stand in awe of him above anybody else. It's to firmly embrace what God's heart is, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. And seen, I think that to, to see that in this light, the fear of the Lord, it's not the opposite of love. It's what real love's about. It's a, a, a healthy sense of fear that can be a positive motivation for doing what's right. This sort of loving respect for his greatness is the basis of our relationship with God. When I choose to fear the Lord, I'm, I'm choosing out of respect and love to do the things that he wants me to do, the th to do the things that please him. It's a bit like Phil was saying last week. It's actually all about love and relationship. We fear him because we love him so much. But we, we are all going to stand in front of God the King at the end of our lives. And we're going to have to give an account for our lives. 
It's a, it's a sobering, sobering thought and one that we can't take lightly. But one of the things I was being, I've been really impacted by this week is the blessings and the promises that are attached to fearing God. And um, we were going to have a handout, but technology has slightly failed us. So um, what I might do is we've, we've actually got a Facebook group uh, for Ballon Vineyard. And if um, you're part of that and you, or you'd like to be part of that, um, search for it at BBC Community, join it up. And I will post this on there later. Um, but there are hundreds of promises attached to fearing God. So there's things like, he promises angelic protection. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. How great is that? It secures God's continual attention. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Uh, Here's a good one. Supplies his provision. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Anyone want to lack nothing? Quite like that. Uh, here's, Here's another one. Provides assurance of food. Like that one? Says he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. This, this, they're all great. This one Pro- provides wisdom, understanding, and time management. Yeah. Anyone want, want, want that one? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. It's a good one. What else? There's loads, honestly. It results in complete satisfaction. How about that? The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Provides clarity and direction. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. And it goes on. There are so many. So I will post them on the, on the BBC community later. And I'd really encourage you to study uh, what those promises are when we fear the Lord. Because they're incredible. And it's not a bad incentive, is it? You kind of think, you kind of like worry about what the fear of the Lord is. But then you see the blessings and the benefits. And you're like, yep, yeah, I'll, I'll have a bit of that. So we've looked at what it is. We've looked at what the benefits are. Every good sermon has a how-to, doesn't it? So we have five ways of how to increase the the fear of the Lord in your life. And I couldn't quite make them into five Ps or anything like that. So they really, they're not very memorable. (laughs) But (laughs) they're good. So the first one, how do we increase the fear of God in our lives? The first one is to feed your mind on the scriptures, on the Bible, on the word of God. There's a really close relationship between the revelation that God has made in the Bible and the fear of God. Really close relationship. And the overall effect of every truth of Scripture is to feed the fear of God. So I'd really encourage you, meditate on verses. Read the Bible in a year. Listen to it as you go on your commute to work. Get it into your very being. Read it in the first thing in the morning, last thing at night. Whatever you do, like feed your mind on this. And that will increase 
your, the fear of God. Secondly, feed, this, it was two feeds, it's quite good. Feed your soul with the reality of the forgiveness of God. I think when we discover that God, how, how incredibly awesome he is, how incredibly holy he is, but that he actually forgives sins, he actually forgives everything that we've ever done wrong, we have a full pardon and a full acceptance, don't we? How can we help but fear him? Feed your soul on that. Um, thirdly, seek to cultivate an awareness of God's presence. So he's, the Bible talks about he's always with us, doesn't it? God is always with us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. But I think it's the recognition that he's there that will be the transforming power in your life. So he is always there, but we have to recognize it. And we have to cultivate that sense of God's presence. It talks about in Proverbs, doesn't it? It talks about in all your ways, acknowledge him. Those are all your ways. I don't think there's any kind of Greek word that I've missed there. All your ways. So whether that's uh, on your way to work, whether that's with your kids, whether that's uh, answering all your boring emails, whether that's challenges, whatever it is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Just notice, where is God? Where is he? Cultivate that awareness. He wants to be involved. Fourthly, associate closely with those who walk in the fear of God. I don't know whether you can picture people in your life who you would say were God-fearing. Anyone picture people in their lives? Who would you say that fears God? There's a power of imitation and absorption and contagiousness. And those who you spend the most time with you end up becoming like them. And so surround yourself with people that fear God. That's not to say you can't have friends that don't. <laughs> but it's like, who do you let into those, those like really close places? Who do you want to become like? Because the people that you associate with, you will become like. So look for those people that fear God in your life. And then finally, pray for an increase of the fear of God. One of the unalterable laws of God's kingdom, it says, ask and you shall receive. And then the converse to that, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. And so we have um, 100% certainty that the fear of God is his will for us. So when we pray it, we can 100% expect to receive it. Because this is God's require. this is God's... Um, designed for us to have the fear of God so we can pray can't we with incredible confidence that he will give this to us so what I'm going to propose right now is that we do that so why don't we stand and then after that we're going to have a short time of worship again and there'll be a time to respond to anything that God is saying and there'll be a time to pray for anybody for anything but why don't we pray for the fear of God and that realisation that he is just so incredibly awesome. So, Father, thank you. Thank you just for your uh, revelation this morning.